that you'd give us the faith to lay hold of your promises. I pray it in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. A very familiar verse of Scripture. By grace you have been saved. You've been saved by grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. It's the opposite of works. Grace is a free gift that is freely given. And knowing, understanding that salvation comes through grace is the understanding that salvation is a free gift of a benevolent God. It's not something that you have to work for. You can't help enough old ladies across the street in order to get it. You can't do enough good works. It's not at the end of, the li of your life. God takes your good works and your bad works and puts them on a scale. And if the good works outweigh the bad works, you get into the kingdom. It doesn't work that way. There's not enough good works that can overcome one sin. But the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross is enough to overcome all sin. And so when, when God talks about his grace, the clear teaching of Scripture on the grace of God is that there is always a surplus of grace. There's a surplus of grace. That is, there's more grace than there is sin in the world. There's, there's enough grace of God to handle everything that has gone wrong in the world. Romans chapter 5 verse 20 says, where sin has abounded, grace has all the more abounded. In other words, where you, you might look at your life and say, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. And God says, I know what you've done, and I know where you've been, and I know what Christ did on your behalf and what Jesus did is greater than what you did so there is a surplus of grace there's a surplus of grace John says in John chapter 1 verse 16 that of the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another so there's a fullness to the grace of God there's this concept of the plenary grace of God or the full grace of God there's the this unmeasured unmerited favor of God and and Paul talks about this grace of God in 2nd Timothy chapter 1 verse 10 or verse the end of verse 9 he says this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our savior Christ Jesus who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light by the gospel so this grace was God gave us his grace before the beginning of time before time began he knew we were going to mess this thing up and he already poured out his grace on us but the grace of God given to us before the beginning of time is now made manifest in the appearing of Jesus Christ. That is, when Jesus Christ appeared, and as he continues to appear to us, the grace of God is made known to us, and the grace of God is made known through the appearing of Jesus Christ as we preach the gospel. So when you got saved, what happened was the grace of God was made manifest in your life. But the question is, how did you apprehend that grace of God? Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, by grace you have been saved through faith. The agency of faith. That is, faith is the agent that identifies and apprehends the grace of God. Faith is the means by which we identify and apprehend the grace of God. When there is a surplus of grace but a deficit of faith, nothing happens. The fact of the matter is that Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago. You say, I just got saved. No, you just came, for the, came to faith in the salvation that has been around for more than 2,000 years. Yeah, yeah, 
Your deliverance is 2,000 years old. Your salvation is 2,000 years old. You just came to faith for it. And the moment you came to faith for it, your faith apprehended that grace and it manifested in your life. But unless your faith apprehends it, it the grace does not manifest in your life. The surplus of grace stays on the table. It just sits on the table. And what the Lord is speaking to us today and what the Lord has been showing me is that we as believers in Jesus Christ live with a grace surplus and a faith deficit. It's not just about being saved, but this is the principle for everything that God does. God's grace is more than just the fact that you get to go to heaven when you die. God's grace is his empowerment. God's grace is, listen, God's grace, it contains his provision. It contains his favor. It contains his healing, his power, his love, his mercy, his justice, his answers to prayer, the outbreak of his promises. Everything that God does falls under the category of grace. Everything he does in your life. If he healed your body, it's grace. If he provided for your needs, it's grace. If he saved your family member, it's grace. If he saved your house, it's grace. Whatever he does, he doesn't do anything except through the category of grace, and he does not release it into our lives except through the category of faith. So faith is the means by which we identify and apprehend the grace of God. There's so much that God intends to do, so much that he's released grace for, but he's looking for a body of believers who will rise up in faith and identify it and apprehend it. And until you identify it and apprehend it, that grace just sits on the table. You walk past it every day. And you're praying and crying out to the Lord saying, Lord, when are you going to do this? And here's the way the enemy works. The way the enemy keeps you from identifying and apprehending the grace of God is he tells you that God will do it for you but one day. What he does is he pushes it out into your future. Listen, knowing that God's going to do something for you one day is not faith. That is not faith. Why? It, it, maybe it's partial faith because it identifies the grace of God, but it's not the other side of faith. It's not full faith because it doesn't apprehend it. Faith doesn't just identify it. It apprehends it. You can, you can identify Jesus. A lot of people identified Jesus when he walked the earth, but not very many people apprehended him. A lot of people said, oh, there goes Jesus. But the woman with the issue of blood both identified and apprehended him. She said, if I touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. Step one, identification. Step two, she pressed through the crowd and touched the hem of his garment. She didn't just sit there and say, you know, if I touched him, I would have been made whole. Oh, well, there he goes. See you later, Jesus. She would have stayed. She would have kept bleeding for the rest of her life. But because she identified the grace of God that was walking through her city and then pressed through the crowd and apprehended it, then she was made whole. And Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. Translation, the fact that you identified the grace of God that was made available to you and the fact that you pressed through the crowd and, and apprehended it, that is what has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. God wants us to identify and apprehend the grace of God. Now, identifying the grace of God takes faith. Now, remember, remember Pastor Daniels preached to us out of Deuteronomy chapter 30 the Thursday before last, and he says there in Deuteronomy chapter 30, God, God speaks through Moses and says, Behold, I set before you good and evil, life and death, blessing and curse. Now choose life. And he, Pastor Daniel said to us, Wherever you see death, life is present. Wherever you see evil, good is present. And wherever you see curse, blessing is present. The problem is we have trained ourselves to see death, curse, and evil instead of training ourselves to see life, blessing, and good. 
and he says the first step of faith is to learn to look for life whenever we see death and to look for good whenever we see evil and to look for blessing whenever we see curse when we get to the place where we see the good in the midst of evil say this looks like evil but lord i know good is there would you show me where the good is would you show me and all of a sudden our faith causes us to identify the presence of the grace of god god's grace is everywhere there is no place you can go where the grace of god is not present where the grace of god is not available but you need the eyes of faith to identify it before you can apprehend it but because we're constantly seeing evil and we're constantly seeing curse and we're constantly seeing death, our unbelief, which is actually in, 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 in a reverse form of faith, is identifying the work of the devil and then apprehending it by, by unbelief. In other words, because we don't believe for the grace of God, what we see is the work of the devil and we believe, we identify it. We are, we are experts at, at identifying the work of the devil. You talk to any believer, what's the devil doing? Oh, he's doing this, and he's doing that, and he's attacking my family, he's attacking my body, he's coming against my finances, he's, and then he's giving me this thought, and he's giving me that. We, can, we are experts at identifying the attack of the devil. We can list it, we can list it, and then we apprehend that attack by believing it. And I think this is it, I think he's taking me down this time. You know, I've resisted for as long as I can. I don't think I can resist anymore. I think, you know, I'm going, I'm heading towards financial ruin. My family's falling apart. My body's falling apart. And, and we just start speaking in faith, in faith believing. And God says, be it unto you according to your faith. <laughs> your faith can both heal you and kill you. If you have faith for death, that faith will kill you. If you have faith for life, that faith will heal you. If you have faith for the curse, that faith will curse you. If you have faith for the blessing, that faith will apprehend that blessing. But you have to learn to identify the blessing. I don't care if I see a curse, I'm looking for the blessing. I don't care if I see death, I'm looking for life. And I'm going to choose the blessing. And I'm going to choose life. And I'm going to choose the good. I'm going to train myself to see it, to identify it. And that point of identification is so important for the believer because God's grace is everywhere, but we rarely see it. Every once in a blue moon, we say, wow, God came. God showed up. God did something mighty for me. God, what is God? You ask the same believer who gives you the litany of what the devil is doing. What is God doing in your life? Well, I'm not sure. I, I, I mean, I know he's doing something. He moves in mysterious ways, but I'm, not, I'm just not sure what he can't really see. I'm just not sure what he's doing. It's because you've trained yourself to look for the work of the devil instead of training yourself to look for the work of God. We must be so intimate with the work of God that we don't even see what the devil is doing. We must be so intimate with the moving of the Spirit, and we must, we have to learn, we got to pray every day, Lord, teach me where to look for your blessing. Teach me where to look. Teach, and I need to walk into a room and say, God, where is it? God, I know it's there. Where is it? Listen, training yourself to see it, it takes some work. It takes some work because you have to make a decision that you're going to believe it's there even when you don't see it. Seeing and apprehending. Blind Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was walking by. He didn't see him. He was blind. He had to take somebody's word for it. And he starts crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Why? Because somebody said, Jesus is coming through. And get this, he had never seen Jesus work a miracle. 
He had just heard somebody else's testimony. Other people have told him of what Jesus did. There's too many people walking around saying, well, when I see him myself, then I'll believe. Then I'll start calling him. Well, when he appears to me, you're blind. You try encouraging somebody and they say, oh, my whole life's falling apart. You say, no, 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 no. Listen, brother, listen. Listen, God is blessing you right now. Well, I don't know. 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 You're just patronizing me. Blind Bartimaeus heard. Somebody said Jesus is coming through. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Everybody says, shut up. He said, you shut up. I'm blind, not you. I'll shut up if you can make me see. I'm not talking to you anyway. Jesus! It said he cried out all the more. When you come to the point where you are so desperate for the Lord to do something that when people say you're getting on my nerves with all of your religious fanaticism, you get more fanatical. You know the definition of a religious fanatic? Anybody who's more passionate about Jesus than you are. <laughs> Blind Bartimaeus cries out. He heard of the possibility and his faith was activated. His faith identified the, the presence of grace. His faith identified the presence of grace. And Jesus called him said, bring him to me, bring him to me. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Interesting question, isn't it? It's not that Jesus didn't know. He wanted to know if Bartimaeus knew. <laughs> if the Lord stood in front of you right now and said, what do you want me to do for you? Would you know what to say? Well, I, I, you know, he just bless me. Bless you with What? What do you want? And it was obvious to Jesus, but what's obvious to Jesus is not obvious to us all the time. You know, you talk to somebody and say, can I pray for you? Say, oh, no, I'm cool. I don't need no prayer. It's obvious that you need prayer. What are you talking about? You don't need no prayer. You need prayer more than anyone. Oh, no, no, I'm cool. I'm, I'm, I'm cool. No, you are not cool. You're blind. You're sitting on the side of the road. You're a beggar. Faith identifies and then apprehends the grace of God. And once it identifying the grace of God is the easy part. Apprehending it takes a fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now Paul said you got to fight the good fight of faith. Why do you got to fight the good fight of faith? Because when faith identifies the grace of God, it identifies what God has already given us. Because grace was given to us before the, the world began. And it's made manifest in the appearing of Jesus. Meaning what Jesus brings to us is a grace that has been given to us since before the foundation of the world. But without faith, God can, could have given you something and you still don't have it. Without faith, God can set you free from something and you're still bound. Without faith, God can open your eyes and you still can't see. Without faith, God can open your ears and you're still deaf. Why? Because your faith has not identified and apprehended it yet. 
Now, in Joshua chapter 18, remember, the book of Joshua is the book of conquest. The beginning of Joshua, they're coming across the Jordan, entering into the promised land. God is saying, I've given you the promised land. Now go take it. I've given it to I have. I have past tense. He did not say, I will give it to you. He says, I have given it to you. He says it's done. When God says it's yours, it's yours. I don't care whose name is on the title deed. I don't care if all of the doors are locked. I don't care if it looks impossible. If God says it's yours, it's yours. The question is, are you going to possess it by faith? I told you we were walking through the building and we were walking through a particular building when God was promising us that we were going to go into the downstairs. We were walking through it, laying hands on the walls, and we were saying, Lord, it's yours. We declare it's yours. We declare it's yours. We declare it's yours. We declare it's yours. And the Lord spoke to me and said, no, duh. I know it's mine. The question is, is it yours? The question is not, do, do I own it? The cattle on a thousand hills belongs to me. The earth is mine and the fullness thereof. The question is, do you know what belongs to you? God already knows what's his. <laughs> do you know what's yours? Mm. We need a little Joel Osteen up in here. This is my Bible. I have what I, it says I have. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Come on, somebody. That's truth right there. You have what it says you have. You are what it says you are. You can do what it says you can do. The question is, will your faith identify it and apprehend it on a daily basis? <laughs> so when we were trying to get into this space... We we're going through the whole construction process. We sensed the grace of God on this space. We came in and began to occupy it, but we had to raise $52,000 in the midst of a recession to re... You know, this don't look like much, right? This little sanctuary. $52,000, that's what it costs to refurb this, this little, you know, plus the office spaces. But 40000 of that fifty-two was in this room. You know, I mean, I could tell you stories about, you know, that door, it was, you know, it was yeah. next to itself. And they had to take out the wall and move the door over three feet. And how many thousands of dollars did that cost? You know, the city, we want the door there. Does that make any sense? You know, it's like little stuff like that. So anyway, in the middle of this process, we're raising the money, and, and we're crying out to God. And I mean, I'm talking about we were making it month to month as a church. We had no savings. We had nothing. We, had a, we, we were just staying afloat, and the Lord said, do it. And that $52,000 came, and we refurbished this whole area. In the midst of it, we were coming to the end of the project, and the city said to me, you need to show me 50 parking spaces outside of this parking lot on an architectural drawing highlighted and a letter from the owner of the, of the property giving you permission to park there within 700 feet of your building or else we're shutting down the whole project. We looked for weeks, for weeks, for weeks. I mean, she gave me the deadline. She said, you have it by 3 p.m. on this particular date or else we're shutting down your whole project. We're talking to the school. They got 20 spaces. To the, there's another company with 10 spaces. And up the street, there's another little parking lot with 20 spaces. We're talking to these three owners for weeks. And they said, oh, come back next week. Oh, come back. Oh, yeah, we'll consider it. We'll think about it. Come back next week. Come back. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> please. And then finally, the week before, they all said no. The day it was due, we had nothing. I came to the office at noon that day. It was a Monday. I came in at noon, and I got on my knees, and I cried out, Lord, show me where it is. Show me where it is. Show me where it is. Show me. God, show me where it is. I know it's there. Show me where it is. I know it's there. Show me. God, show me. God, show me. I cried out for an hour. 
Show me where it is. Show me where it is. Show me. I know it's there. Show me where it is. And all of a sudden, a thought hit my brain. And the thought said, Google Earth. So I opened my computer, went to Google Earth, put in the address, 4550 San Pablo Avenue. And I was looking down on the building. And all of a sudden, across the street, I saw this huge parking lot. I said, where is that? I printed that page. I walked downstairs, and I'm walking over there like this. One, two, three. I'm counting my steps. You know, it's got to be within 700 feet. So I'm counting one, two, three. Where is this? Where is I got to 538 steps, and I was in the parking lot of CVS. And I thought, there's no way CVS is going to let us park here. This don't make any sense whatsoever. But I thought, well, I might as well try. I walked in. I said, can I speak to your manager? They said, sure. The manager came out. And we recognized each other. He said, hey, hey, don't, aren't you the pastor of that church? Yeah, yeah, didn't I see you on Earth Day? Yeah, yeah, good to see you. What do you need, pastor? What can I do for you? I said, I need your parking lot Sunday mornings. <laughs> I said, I need a minimum 50 spaces. I need an architectural drawing of the parking lot from you, highlighting the spaces I can use, and I need a letter from you with your signature on it saying that I have permission to park here. And he goes, I don't have a problem with that. Amen. I said, oh, praise God. He goes, but i got to call my district manager. And I thought my heart just sunk. I was like, Lord Jesus, please <laughs> So he says, okay, hold on. So let me call her. So he calls her. She says, put him on the phone. Turns out she was a believer. She said, pastor, what can I do for you? I said, I need 50 of your parking spaces on an architectural drawing with highlighting around those 50 spaces and a letter from you saying I have the right to park there on Sunday mornings and I need it in about an hour. She said, check your email in 30 minutes. 30 minutes later, I checked my email, and it was all there. I went to the city at 3 o'clock, and the lady at the city just had this sad look on her face. I'm so sorry, Pastor. I said, no, no, I got it right here. She goes, what? She looked at it. CVS is going to let you park there? Yep, read it and weep. <laughs> she was excited for us. The lady at the city was very excited for us and very happy, but it was it was... It was such a blessing. You know what? You know what the key was? The key was we sensed the grace of God on this space and we were not going to stop until we got it. And we were not going to let it go and we were not going to give up on it and we were not going to quit on it. We weren't going to get disillusioned about it. We weren't going to get discouraged about it. When you identify the grace of God, the next step is to make a decision that you're going to apprehend it. Now, we, we started talking about Joshua chapter 18, the time of conquest. But 18 chapters of conquest and you get to chapter 18, seven tribes had possessed their inheritance and five had not yet. In Joshua chapter 18, verse 3, Joshua calls together the entire assembly, and he says to the Israelites, to the five tribes, he says, How long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given you? How long will you wait? There's another translation that says, How long will you be slack? The NKJV says, How long will you neglect to begin to possess the land that the Lord your God has given you. Joshua saying, because these five tribes are going, one day the Lord's going to give it to us. One day. That time is not now, but one day we're going to have it. And then they were crying, going, how come our other brothers got it and I don't? How come they're blessed and I'm not blessed yet? Doesn't that sound like a Christian? How come my friends are getting married, but I'm not? How come everybody's got a job, but I don't have one yet? How come everybody's getting new cars, but I'm still driving my old hoopty? How come? How come? How long will you wait to begin to possess the land the Lord your God has already given you? You're crying that he's not doing something for you. You're not even possessing what he's done. 
How long are you going to wait? Come on, somebody. You've been waiting and God says, I'm waiting for you. You're not waiting for me. I've already given it to you. I'm waiting for you to rise up and take it. There's a grace surplus. It's just a faith deficit. There's more grace than you need. You just need the faith. What I'm looking for is a, a faith surplus. It's like I got blessings manifesting that I don't have room to receive. I got so much faith everywhere I walk. Blessings are manifesting. I'm like, whoa, I, was, I didn't even actively believe for that. But I've been so trained. I've so trained my heart and mind to believe that I'm believing while I'm sleeping. Promises are manifesting in my sleep. I'm accidentally stumbling into breakthrough and blessing. I'm tripping over it. I'm drowning in an ocean of victory and blessing. Why? Because in actuality, we are living in an ocean of grace. But we've only got a puddle of breakthrough because that's how much faith we have. I want to make this explicit for you. This year, there's two realms in which God has promised us victory. And many of you are still waiting for one day the Lord to manifest that. First of all, your finances. Second of all, a stewardship of souls, salvations. God spoke to us at the beginning of this year, 15, 15, 70. Give 15% to God, put 15% away and save it, and learn to live on that other 70%. If you're not looking at that through the eyes of faith, it seems restrictive to you. If it feels restrictive, it's because you're looking at it through the eyes of unbelief. You're looking at it as an obligation and not as a promise. But God gave it to us as a promise at the beginning of this year. He said, I'm going to break the back of debt off of your life. I'm going to release you into abundance. You say, I started this year off with thousands of dollars in debt and no, no money in the bank. I'm going to end this year with thousands of dollars in the bank and no money in debt. God wants you to know that poverty is demonic. It is not humility. It's demonic. Come on, somebody. People in the body of Christ are talking about money as if it's an evil thing. A very famous preacher said, wealth is almost always evil. And I wanted to respond, poverty is always evil. There's no such thing as good poverty. Paul said you will be made rich in every way so that you may be generous in every situation. God will make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God wants to bless you with the power of great generosity. God wants to bless you with the power of great blessing and breakthrough. He wants to bless you to be a blessing in the earth, and he wants to remove the restrictions because everyone in this room, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you want to do more for the kingdom than you're doing right now, but you're restricted by your lack of financing. And for some reason, we think that that's spiritual or humility. It's demonic. It's the devil that wants to keep you from doing more for the kingdom, not God. Are you hearing me today? You've got to get it out of your mind that, well, it's my fault. It's my irresponsibility. God says, I've removed your irresponsibility. I've removed your fault. I've made you faultless. Now I'm breaking the back of that, that demonic spirit of poverty off you, and I'm releasing blessing on you. 
But you got to have the faith to identify that grace. It's grace. You got to have the faith to identify it as grace. When you get the faith to identify it as grace, as soon as you get that check, you'll run to throw that 15% in the plate. And you'll run to the bank to throw that 15% in the bank. Then you'll lift up that 70 and say, Lord, show me how I'm going to pay my bills and eat with this. Show me how. And you'll do like I did with the parking spaces. If it doesn't seem to fit, you'll cry out, oh, God, show me where it is. Show me where it is. Show me where the blessing is. I know the blessing is there. See, the devil doesn't mind you believing that God's going to do something for you as long as you believe it's later. Even if he can convince you it's tomorrow, he succeeded. Even if he's convinced you it's tomorrow, he will keep you from apprehending it today. God will not be in debt. Some of us have been sowing for decades, and we think one day God is going to bless us financially. And by the way, what we, we, try, what we think we can plant orange seeds, orange, orange seeds and reap apples. Does that make any sense? It wouldn't make any sense, but yet we do it all the time in, in the body of Christ, don't we? We sow our financial seed and say, now, Lord, I'm believing for breakthrough in my family. We sow a financial seed, and then we go, Lord, would you just make my wife love me more? We sow a financial seed, and we go, Lord, would you open the door? No, no, no. As a man sows, so shall he reap. If you, reap, if you sow money, you're going to get money. you got to stop looking for apples to grow on your orange tree. You sowed orange seeds. Look for oranges. I want to set you free because you're thinking, you know, it's, you're spiritualizing it. And we've even taught people, well, it's not always money. It's not always money, you know, so don't look for that. Just sow your seed and expect to receive nothing in return. There's nothing in Scripture that says sow your seed and expect to receive nothing in return. You tell that to any farmer. Farmer, just go out there and sow. Just fill the, and just water all year long, but don't expect any harvest. Harvest time, just, I just want you to understand that it's probably going to be nothing there. And that's, you know, that's just... That's what a good servant does. That's foolishness. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 6 says, forsake foolishness and live. You got to forsake foolishness and live. <laughs> I put that on my Facebook wall. Pastor Daniels called me so excited yesterday. He said, I saw on your Facebook you said, forsake foolishness and live. He said, I thought I'd found every foolishness verse in the entire Bible. <laughs> he, said, he said, I can't wait to preach that tomorrow. <laughs> he said, I'm going to tell my church, forsake foolishness and live. <laughs> I told him, I said, every time you say the word foolishness, people get set free. <laughs> Have you noticed that? When he says foolishness, the whole house gets set free into a whole nother, to a whole nother level. I'm saying you've got to identify the grace of God in it and then apprehend it by faith and press for it and reach for it. You think it's carnal for you to press for financial blessing, but what you don't realize is that you're allowing yourself to stay under the, under the, under the weight of oppression that the enemy has brought through debt and financial hardship. And God is saying this year, I'm going to break that off of your lives and I'm going to release liberty, but you've got to begin to possess it. 
You've got to begin to possess it now. Listen, I'm not going to allow you not to get your inheritance this year. I'm not going to allow you to go another year without a harvest. Some of you have gone year after year after year after year without a harvest. Year after, you've gone, some of you have gone decades without a harvest, and you've sown your finances and had no harvest. And soon, and in the body of Christ, we've got professional sowers who are just as ignorant about reaping as they come. We have no idea how to reap, but listen, we're going to learn how to sow and reap this year. We're going to learn, but you've got to apprehend it by faith, and I just feel it. Hovering over this congregation is an attack of the enemy called discouragement. And the enemy's been speaking to some of you about your finances, saying, see, this isn't working. See, it doesn't work. See, it doesn't fit. See, it's not breaking through. See, you can't do it. See, it's too much for you. I'm silencing that voice of the devil right now. God is going to break you free. I love what Kevin said this morning about the axe head floating. I was about to just explode and jump out of my... The axe head represents debt. And you see how... Listen, the, the prophet was saying, Father, I'm in debt. Now watch how easy it was. He didn't freak out and say, Oh, my Lord, we got to take, take up a collection for this brother. Oh, we got to pray. We got to figure out a way to work it out. He said, Nah, we can handle that. Just give me a stick. Some, just a stick. He just made something up. Just look for any, where's the stick? Stick, throw it in the water. Okay, here it comes, and it floats to the top. <laughs> I mean, the prophet just threw a stick in the water. It was all, he didn't even pray. It wasn't even, the Lord, he said, the Lord's not going to allow you to be in debt. He's not going to make that axe head float. God's getting ready to float you out of your debt. He's getting ready to break the power of it off your life. Everything that was borrowed that has sunk, so many of you here, you borrowed stuff, whether from credit card companies, banks, or people, and it's sunk to the bottom of the lake and you can't get to it. God's getting ready to make the axe head float, and you're going to be able to pay your debts, and you're going to be free from it. And all God needs is a stick. It's how easy. Just give me a stick. Throw it in the water. There you go. <laughs> Man, I, w I wish I could have been there that day. I was like, are you kidding? The guy just threw a stick in the water. <laughs> it wasn't a magic stick. It was a twig. He broke it off a tree. There we go. <laughs> I love it. Second, second promise God gave us this year. The least of you will become a thousand, and the weakest a mighty nation. The word the Lord gave me at the be beginning of this year, he said, son, you can't lose one, because if you lose one, you lose a thousand. The weakest. The Lord told me at the beginning of this year that the most unspiritual, heck of fake, carnal, and lukewarm believer in this congregation is going to be fruitful and multiply and lead people to Christ. Yeah, that's right. Even Dell. And 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 uh, <laughs> you knew that was coming. So you tried to deflect it over in this way, but it just came back to you. You reaped what you sowed. <laughs> Come on, somebody. There is a harvest of souls that is coming through this house. A harvest of souls that is coming through this house. Everyone in this house is going to reproduce this year. Everyone is going to lead at least one person to Christ. Everyone. Every, if you know Jesus Christ, you're going to help somebody know Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus, the church has been barren for too long. Barren and unfruitful. Barren and unfruitful. Listen, when believers are not reproducing other believers, the church is barren. I don't care how big our buildings are. Listen, the Lord showed me that what has been happening in contemporary Christianity is that churches, the institutional church, has replaced the Christian life with Christian activities. 
So instead of praying believers, we have prayer meetings. Instead of worshiping believers, we have worship services. Instead of evangelizing believers, we have evangelistic meetings. Instead of Bible studying believers, we have church Bible studies. When we look at what Christians should be doing but are not doing, we put a meeting around it, a service around it, and the problem is the believers are only doing it at those meetings. So at the end of the day, it's not the Christians who, in the, it's not the members of the churches who are being Christians, it's the church that's being Christian, the institution. So we have Christian institutions with members who do the Christian thing when they come to the institution. But listen, we're going to transcend the institution this year and actually become the church because the church of Jesus Christ is not an institution. It's not an organization. It's an organism. I started talking about a harvest of souls and people said, how many evangelistic services are you going to have? I said, not one. Not one. You know why? Instead, I'm going to raise up a whole generation and a whole army of evangelists. We might be able to see we have an evangelist service. You say, 40 people came to Christ. Listen, I see an army of 250 people in this house, and every single one of them are going to reproduce at least one. At least one. At least one. You're going to see more souls come to Christ through your individual witness than we could see in 100 evangelistic services. Why? Because it's about the church becoming the church and not the institution being the church for the people. When you come to the prayer meeting, it should stimulate you to pray all week. When you come to the worship service, it should stimulate you to worship all week. And when you come to the Bible study, it should stimulate you to read your Bible all week long. The church is going to stop being Christian for you, and you're going to start being a Christian yourself and on your own. Are you hearing me today? You're going to lead people to Christ this year. God is giving you a stewardship of souls. Remember, I gave you the very simple strategy at the beginning of this year. One, choose one lost friend or, or family member, an unsaved friend or family member. And you don't have to pray and fast for their name. You know, I've been asking the Lord who they are. And it's a month and a half in the year. I still don't know which one to choose. Pick one. Are they, are they lost? Pick that one. Anyone. Pick one. Number two, pray for them every day. Every day, pray for them and believe for their salvation. Amen. Number three, every 10 days, reach out to them. And when you reach out to them, ask the Lord to direct the conversation towards him. Pray and ask God, Lord, direct the conversation towards you. Direct the conversation towards you. And the final step is rejoice in any progress. Rejoice in any progress. I'm telling you, any progress. And then the last step, when you lead them to Christ... You're going to disciple them. You're going to care for them. No catch and release evangelism. Evangelism is not sport fishing. I led somebody to Christ on the basketball court, and then I told them, find a good church, see you later, have a good life. I'm, we're done with that. If you lead somebody to Christ, you just had a baby. Now you're responsible for them. You just saw a new baby born into the kingdom of God. You're not going to leave it on the side of the road to fend for itself. You're going to disciple them and care for them. God is giving you a stewardship of souls. That means that, all of, that means that every member of this congregation just became a pastor. Are you hearing me? It means it's about your ministry now and not just about my ministry. It's not about my preaching. Now it's about yours. It's about your witness. It's about you coming and being trained. But what I've sensed over the last three weeks is that a malaise, when we first started this, everybody was excited. 
There was comments all over Facebook. Yeah, I'm going to talk to my friend and family member. Pray for me. I'm sharing the gospel. And that was shut down within two weeks. There was about, there was about a 90% decrease in comments about winning the lost and about excitement. Why? Because we tend to pray for something for three days, and if it don't happen, we get discouraged. And we think, well, I guess it wasn't the Lord. Don't pick another person because the one you're praying for didn't get saved when you talk to them once. Keep praying for them. I don't care if you pray for them all year long. Before December 31st, they're going to get saved. And if you're faithful to pray for that one and reach for that one, the Lord will multiply your stewardship and give you more. The least of you will become a thousand. The least of you. That means that the least among you in this house over the course of your life will influence at least a thousand souls to come into the kingdom of God. But you've got to have the faith to identify the grace for that and then apprehend it. I'm telling you, see, you, you, could, you could sit and say, well, let's see if it happens. We'll just wait and see if it happens. If not, the pastor's a false prophet. <laughs> right. <laughs> or are you a false believer? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> the woman with the issue of blood could have just saw Jesus pass by and say, well, if he's really the Savior, I'll be healed. Enough sitting around waiting. Now you're going to begin to possess your inheritance. You're going to begin to possess your inheritance from this moment, from this day. You're going to begin to possess your I will not let you go without it. I will Listen, there is nothing like seeing souls come into the kingdom of God. Nothing like it, nothing like it, nothing like it. Nothing like sitting with one person and, and talking to them and sharing the gospel and seeing their lives change and their eyes open. And many of you have been crying out to God for the gifts of the Spirit. They're going to manifest evangelistically. You know, Pastor Ryan from, from the Ark, the, uh, one of the assistant pastors, one of the associate pastors at the Ark, he was sharing with me last night that he walked into Starbucks recently and he saw a guy sitting there and the Lord spoke to him and said, go sit and talk to that guy. He's got two kids and he's going through a divorce. So he went and sat at the table with the guy, and he said, how you doing? The guy said, you know, I'm struggling right now because I'm going through a divorce, and my two kids are really, really having a tough time with it. And the Lord spoke to him and said, his daughter's name is Christy, and his son's name is Brian. And he said, how's your daughter handling? And he said, who, Christy? Oh, she's, she's struggling with it, but, but she's doing okay. And, and Ryan looked at him and said, and your son's name is Brian. And the guy said, whoa, how did you know that? How'd you know that? He said, because God told me that. And God told me to come sit at this table and tell you that he is with you and that he's walking and that he loves you and that Jesus died. And he preached the gospel. The guy broke and just started weeping and crying. Ryan said, I walked out of that place like, yeah! I want you to know what that's like. To see somebody being translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the son of his love. I want you to know what that's like. Listen, that is the stewardship that God is making available to each and every one of us. But your faith has to identify that grace and lay hold of it. You've got to make a decision today. I see the grace of God on my finances. I see the grace of God over the stewardship of souls. I'm going to lay hold of those two things. And I'm not going to finish this year without my inheritance. Those five tribes, Joshua said, how long are you going to wait? Begin to possess it today. And you know what? They each began to possess their inheritance. And by the time you got to the end of the book, they each had their inheritance. I'm telling you that by the time we get to the end of this book this year, each of you is going to have your inheritance. I will not allow you to live without your inheritance. You will have it. 
you're going to have it. Listen, we're praying day and night for you to have your inheritance, but your faith has to reach for it. Your faith has to lay hold of it. Your faith has to take it. Amen? Amen. Everybody bow your heads. Father, I give you praise. I give you praise.